in the devotionals that we've been uh, reading today, it was interesting that the prayer was for uh, worship leaders and groups all over uh, the world. And uh, so uh, for just a second, can you give Tony and our worship team a huge hand for everything they do every week? And uh, we just, uh, I know I do, sometimes I forget just how hard it is, how difficult it is every week uh, to uh, put worship together and be in the right spirit. And so uh, I'm just so thankful for that. I'd like you to take your scriptures and turn over to Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to deal with a couple of texts, but that's the first one, Matthew chapter 27, uh, verses 38 through 44 is the first text that we're going to get to uh, this morning. Uh, let's bow for a word of prayer. Pray that God blesses us this morning as we get deep into His Word. Heavenly Father, uh, we just again are thankful as we prepare our hearts and uh, take our journey as a congregation to the cross. And uh, Lord, we know how difficult that really is. And Lord, behind the scenes, there are so many emotions, so many individuals that we don't know a lot about, but we know that uh, their lives and their stories are, are truly profound to all of us in this room. And ultimately, we surrender our life to Christ, who gives us freedom. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent us your son to die for us and through the re resurrection to give us hope. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. I want you to think about this one emotion this morning that we're going to focus on, and it's the emotion of freedom. What does freedom mean to you? If you were to just in your mind have images of freedom, uh, my guess is we all have different images of freedom. Here's the first freedom that I want to point out. It's, a, it's an amazing place. Maybe you've been there. Freedom, Indiana. How many have ever been there? Life-changing place. Okay. So maybe for you, that's the very first thing you thought of is freedom, Indiana. Uh, on a serious note, let me share with you a picture that was a reminder of uh, freedom for me. Uh, this fall, I had some good friends, and we went out to Washington, D.C. over the fall break. And uh, this October day was just absolutely perfect. It was just a little crisp, blue skies, and we were walking down to the World War II uh, monument, which is an amazing place. If you've never been there, you just need to, to just go there and just soak that up. And on that particular day, uh, as you know, they have these trips for uh, the World War II and Korean uh, vets that come in there, and it's an, it's an honor trip, and it's just it's just great. And we look down, and there's this entire group from Philadelphia. And uh, I just saw all the, the sponsors and all the, the vet, veterans there. And so we made our way down. And this particular gentleman, I was talking to his son, and uh, I said, tell me about your dad. And he said, well, uh, my dad is a hero, but he doesn't want to be called a hero. He actually was in Pearl Harbor, and he was on one of the ships that were not in the, the bay that got bombed but he lost a lot of friends. And so I, I said, uh, sir, um, it is my honor to be in your presence. Uh, would you just allow me to take a picture with you? And so he did. And uh, I walked away from that experience thinking, wow, you know, freedom really isn't free, is it? That there are so many men and women uh, that have given so much. In the back there, there was an American flag. And I thought, you know, every Sunday, think about this, I, I preach underneath this flag. And I don't know if you think about it, but I, I do often, I'm like, wow, the responsibility to preach Jesus Christ, but also the responsibility of here's this flag, to me, that is a reminder of freedom. So many people have given so much so that we can be 
free. So this morning, that's what we're going to focus on. What does it look like when you're truly free? George F. McLeod said this, Jesus was crucified not in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves. Freedom. We're going to talk about one of those thieves and how his life, to me, is an incredible example of freedom. And we're going to look at the characteristics of this thief's life. So turn with me again uh, to those scriptures, the first one in Matthew, and then we're also going to look at Luke 23. The first thing you need to understand is that thief, and there were two, but that thief was a wretch. He was a wretch. A wretch, by definition, is somebody who is miserable, unfortunate, unhappy person, uh, despicable. Now, why would I share the fact that I believe that he was a wretch? Well, in Luke 23, and also in Matthew uh, 27, it's interesting that he says, we were punished, what? Justly. So in this thief, those two thieves, hung on the cross on both sides of Jesus, and you know later on, we're going to talk about this, there was a conversation between the two thieves, Jesus is in the middle, that thief said what? We are here because we deserve to be here. Now, if you are crucified, just so you know, uh, that's not for shoplifting, okay? It is a serious offense. Matter of fact, all indications are that these men were either government rebels or they were guilty of a violent crime. But no matter what, what they did, that they were crucified, was a terrible thing. And when you, just like me, whenever I sing Amazing Grace, doesn't that always capture you when you sing that very first verse? Amazing Grace, what? That saved a wretch like me. Now, I don't know about you, but here's what we all have in common. We're all wretches. Write that on your bulletin. I am a wretch, okay? We are all wretches because all of us are not worthy of the grace and the love of God. Now, you may be sitting here this morning thinking, I'm worthy. Back away in case there's lightning in the area because none of us are worthy. It's interesting in Isaiah 53, 9, it says this. He, talking about Jesus, made his grave with the wicked. And then you go on from Isaiah 53 to verse 12, and he says, He, again, speaking of Jesus, was numbered with transgressors. We are all sinners. We all fall short. We all, just like that thief, are saying, you know, I'm getting exactly what I deserve. We all are in that same boat. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love that while we were sinners, Christ what? died for us. See, here's the thing. I hear this a lot as, as an excuse. I'll talk over the years to friends or, or just individuals about uh, getting right with God or going to church. And you've, all, you've all had these same conversations, and they'll say something like this. Um, when I get my act together, I'll go to church. And you know what I always want to say? Well, then you're never going to go to church because you're never going to get your act together because I've never got my act together. Have you ever got your act together? You ever had a week that you thought, God, I'm not saying I'm holy, but I'm pretty close. I mean, have you ever, have you ever had a week like that? No, none of us have our act together, which is why we desperately need a Savior. That will never change. That will never change. The other thing we've got to be careful is sometimes we read this and say, well, yeah, that thief, he was a wretch. He probably did some violent, vile things 
And perhaps by man's punishment, he deserved to die that way. But I'm not nearly as bad as that thief on the cross. Really? Think of your thoughts this last week. Think of some of the things that probably ran through your mind that you thought, I cannot believe the thoughts that I still have and how far away at times I am from God. He was a wretch. Second of all, here's what we know. is that thief, he was a man who suffered. Matthew 27, 38 uh, clarifies that he was a man who suffered. But I, I really want you to focus in when we get to Matthew 27 at verse 44. It's interesting, and I'm embarrassed to say this, I have read these scriptures leading up to Easter my entire life. From the time I was a child, I read through these scriptures. And you get to a point that you think, I already know everything about the Easter story. And then all of a sudden, God will open a window like, wow, I did not see that. Have you ever had those moments? I love those moments. All these years, I always thought that here are these thieves, and they're hurling insults at Jesus. And only one thief was actually hurling the insults. But here in verse 44, I want you to listen. It says, in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him heaped insults on him. The same man who eventually asked Jesus, will you please forgive me, basically, is the same man that just hours before was hurling insults at Jesus. Think about that. Something changed. Matter of fact, it's interesting that there are four groups of people who verbally assaulted Jesus. First of all, the crowds. Imagine Jesus basically going through this parade, and all he hears as he's carrying the cross are these vile comments, and he's being abused even though he loved everyone. The Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the, the elderly delegates, they were all filled with pride and hatred, and they were yelling at Jesus Christ. The soldiers mocked him, even put a robe and a crown on his head, uh, screaming, save yourself. I mean, if you're really the king, you can save yourself. And then finally, these two thieves. Think about that. They're being nailed on the cross. You think they'd have something better to do with their time then look to the Son of God and actually verbally abuse Him. But that's exactly what was going on. But here's what we need to understand. They were suffering. That thief, that day, he was suffering. Psalms 22, 7 and 8 says this. The dogs, this is a perfect description of the crucifixion. The dogs have surrounded me and a band of evil men encircle me and they have pierced my hands and they have pierced my feet. That is the crucifixion. So here's the question. What is it that caused that one thief to turn his complete opinion around for Jesus Christ? Well, here's one thing that Jesus didn't do, and this is interesting. Jesus did not relieve him of his suffering. You know, he could have, you know. As the Son of God, he could have looked on both sides and he could have said, so you don't believe I'm the Son of God? When the next 10 seconds, boom, there'll be no more pain. Now, he, had he done that, they probably would have said, wow, only God's son could have done that. But no, Jesus allowed them to suffer just as he suffered. You know, one of the hardest truths in life, God allows us to suffer. And that's hard. I don't think I'm the only one at times that have questioned God. Like, God, why am I going through this? or being in the minister full-time for over 30 years, 
There's been times in my prayer that I'm working with someone and I just, I just can't believe how much they're going through. I'm like, Lord, please relieve them. Can they, can they handle more suffering? Suffering, we don't like to talk about this, but is a very real part of our faith walk. What's interesting is, here's what I think truly changed the thief. I believe that as he was observing Jesus Christ, he could not believe how Jesus was handling the suffering. The agony and the pain and the blood and the sweat and the tears. How could he handle that, not just with grace, but how could he utter these words? Father, forgive them, for they what? Know not what they do. That's what changed him. For three hours, he watched Jesus Christ. And he watched how he suffered. And from the inside out, it changed him. You know, on that cross, Jesus uttered seven things. Truly, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus also said, woman, here is your son and the disciple. Here is your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am thirsty. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Everything that Jesus did was a man who was suffering, but a man who was on a mission. And his mission, that particular moment, as we're going to see, was for that thief. And that thief represents everybody in this room. He knows we're all wretches. He knows without him, we don't have a chance. And on that day, he gave him life. But it was through the suffering. I don't know if you've ever been out. I love to travel. And uh, we had a chance to see Mount Rushmore. I don't know. How many have ever seen Mount Rushmore? Anybody? It's great. Once you, Waldrug. How many have ever been to Waldrug? Yeah, if you go to Mount... Okay, good job. So you had the free drink of water. Okay, if you go to Mount Rushmore, and it just is, it's just unbelievable. And right there, right there in the middle, kind of in the corner there, is one of my favorite presidents, and that's Teddy Roosevelt. His just zeal for life, uh, to me, was just unreal. Now, if you study his life, uh, you might say the most defining day in Teddy Roosevelt's life was the day that he became president of the United States. And honestly, that's not the day that defined his life. You know what day it was? February 14th, 1884. Do you know what happened on that day? He got a message. A snowstorm was rolling in. Get home as soon as possible. And so he made his way home only to walk into the door and being greeted by his brother. And he said, first of all, mom died tonight. And then he paused and said, I don't know how we're ever going to get through this. And he said, get through what? He goes, your dear wife also died tonight. Imagine losing your mom and your wife who had just had your first child two days before. At that moment, Teddy Roosevelt, they said, never spoke her name again. The cut and the pain was too deep. And if you know a little bit about history, that's when Teddy Roosevelt actually went out near Rushmore and he spent some years getting his life back together because the pain was so severe, he didn't know that he would ever be able to lead again. He didn't know what he was going to do. That's how deep it was. That's suffering. But through the suffering, I truly believe that's how he became the leader that he became. I guarantee you, in this room, every one of you 
have been inspired by somebody and how they handled suffering. I guarantee it. There's been somebody in your life and you step back and you're watching them and you're like, how can they handle that? How are they getting through that? I just think back in my home church of some of the folks that I saw suffer and yet I saw this amazing grace that came out of their life and that moved me and it should move you. And there will be a day that you will be suffering and somebody, you don't even know this, but they're watching you. Because I'll tell you what, to follow somebody when things are going well, isn't it easy to be a Christian when things are going well? Your, your Easter basket's full of eggs and candy and your life is jolly. No, no, no. When you're going through the hardest times, when just getting to church took everything in you, don't think people aren't watching. They are watching because through your suffering, you are demonstrating Jesus Christ. First Peter 4 uh, uh, 1 says this, Since Christ suffered in his body, I love this, arm yourselves with that same attitude. You arm yourselves with the same attitude as Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing I love most about the thief. Number three, he simply was a free man. He was free. In Luke 23, verse 39, starting in verse 39, it says this, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him don't you fear what was his title God he's figured it out this is the son of God hanging there on the cross since you are under the same sentence we were punished justly and we are getting the deeds that we deserve but this man has done nothing wrong and then he said Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom he's the only person that called Jesus, not only God, but what did he call him? You're the king. It's exactly what he said. You're the king. I want to go into your kingdom. And don't you love what Jesus said? Truly, I tell you today that you will be with me. Say it with me. In paradise. Think about that. You will be with me in paradise. Now, let me tell you, his journey is our journey. It should be our journey. In Acts 3.19, it says, repent and turn to God. What does it mean to repent? It's a change of heart. It's a change of attitude. And ultimately, it is a change of action. He repented. He said, listen, I'm getting exactly what I deserve. You know what? That's what repentance is. Repentance isn't just saying you're sorry. Why? How many parents do we have here and grandparents? Raise your hand. Can you tell the difference when your kid is sorry or they're sorry because they got caught? Am I the only parent that gets that? You're not sorry. My mom used to say, you're not sorry. You're sorry about what I'm going to do to you. I mean, that was usually what was, that. I was truly sorry for that. But there's a huge difference of coming clean, not because you got caught, coming clean because you want to get it right. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But we're going to do everything in our heart to change our attitude and change our action. Repentance. And then Romans 10, 9, it says, Declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And what? You'll be saved. He confessed right there. 
for all those who could hear him. You are the king. You're the king. It is critical that we confess with our mouths, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why anytime somebody surrenders their life in baptism to Christ, the very first thing we ask people to do, would you repeat after me? Because we want them to repeat this. I believe Jesus Christ is what? The son of the living God. Man, I want everyone to realize how important it is with your mouth to confess that. When you become a member here, that's all we ask. Do you believe this? Because this is foundation. If you don't believe this, we've got issues. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Savior. With your mouth, it is critical to say that. Let me step over here as a side note. Uh, when I was ordained as a minister... Um, I was just shy of 24, very mature, 24-year-old. But they brought in the elders at this little church I was preaching at, the elders of my home church and the senior minister in an office before the service, and they drilled me with questions, tough, biblical, doctrinal questions. I was a little nervous, to say the least. And so they're just saying, you know, John, what do you think about this? What do you think about communion? What do you think about that? What do you think about all these Pretty tough issues. Not, I thought I was through the whole thing. And I'm like, whew, man, give me the plaque. You know, I'm, I, am, I am so ready now. And the senior minister said, oh, yeah, before we leave, let me give you a, a hypothetical. Don't you hate hypotheticals? And he goes, um, there's two people, and they're in the desert. And um, they're not, they're not going to walk out alive. And one of them says to his friend, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Is he saved or not? I want you to wrestle with that hypothetical, okay? And I said, um, well, that's a good question. Boy, I think we need to get in the, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm putting it on. And he said, no, no, what do you think? And I said, um, well, yeah, I've been raised in the Church of Christ, so how is he going to baptize him? He's in, he's in the desert. And he said, that's not the question. I said, he asked, he wants to be saved. Can he be saved? What do you guys think? Why? Grace. The act of baptism, it is critical. Don't get me wrong. It is critical. And I think it helps us to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If some of you here are like wrestle with, should I be baptized? Yes. When? As soon as possible, okay? But here's the deal. There's nothing magical about the water in baptism. That water doesn't save you. Do you know why we're saved? Through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what he says here. When you, when you say openly with your mouth, you're beginning to say, I believe in you, Lord, I lean on you, but it's nothing that I do, my acts. There's nothing about my works that saves me, but your grace, wow, your grace saves me. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, we are confident, and I say that I would prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. Have you ever read that and thought, Wow, Paul, really? Aren't you kind of giving up? Why would you say, I'd rather be with God in heaven than to be here on earth? Have you ever thought that? All you grandparents, when you're holding your grandbaby, do you think there's a place better than this? Seriously, is there? When you were watching IU win the championship the other night, did you think, you know, there's a place better than this? No, on earth, we have these amazing moments, and we think, could anything be better than this? And Paul said, are you kidding? That's, my, that's a loose translation. Man, seriously? 
Yes, there's a place better than this. And then what's he call that place? Home. Home. Home with the Lord. Don't you love that? Can you imagine that thief on the cross when he heard, you're going to be with me in paradise? I'm just, I don't know exactly what he did. My guess is he probably looked over at the other thief like, <laughs> bad call. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I am with him forever. Paradise, forever. And I imagine at that moment he's thinking, I know you're going to break my legs. I know this is not going to end well. I know you think that this is a terrible ending. You have no idea. This is a great ending because it doesn't end today. It begins today. And I'm going to be with the king. That's the promise for everybody in this room when you surrender to Jesus Christ. There's a book called Six Hours, One Friday by Max Licato, and I highly recommend it. And Licato says this, <coughs> Mercy forgave the thief on the cross, but grace escorted him home. Isn't that awesome? Mercy forgave the thief on the cross, but grace escorted him home. What a home. This week I had the honor to uh, teach our Awana kids over on the east side, uh, first through sixth graders. So the first group was the, like uh, first through third graders. And so I was talking about heaven. That's their question that night was about heaven. How many people are in heaven? That's the question. Try to answer that one. So anyway, I got them all in the room, and I show a picture of Holiday World, and I showed a picture of Disney World. And I said, what would you call a place better than Holiday World, better than Disney World? And this little second grader, I call that heaven. Yeah. That, thank you. Thank you, second grader. Yeah, that is heaven. That is home with God. Now, I want to close with, uh, with this idea of freedom and how important it is to me, how important it is, I know, to you. Um, and it actually comes from um, one of my all-time favorite movies. It's Shawshank Redemption. And uh, uh, so, spoiler alert, if you've never seen it, uh, shame on yourself. You need to see Shawshank Redemption um, but at the very end, uh, the, whole, the whole premise of the movie is uh, um, a prisoner who has, uh, Andy, who's been in prison for nearly uh, 30 plus years and has methodically found a way to escape on the perfect night. He's got it all planned out. And to get uh, to the point of freedom, and then Morgan Freeman's voice dubs over, he has to break open a raw sewage pipe and he has to crawl five hundred yards through raw sewage to get to the point where it spills out into this river. And there is this picture towards the end of the movie. This is, when I hear freedom, this is my image of freedom. It's one of the most unbelievable scenes ever as he's just lifting his eyes up to heaven and it's like, man, I am free. Now that may be free on earth, but there's something that trumps that. It's the freedom that everybody in this room has through Jesus Christ. I think that's what it's going to be like the moment we die. I think the moment we die, our hands go up, and it's like, I am coming home free. And you know what I love most about God? It's never too late. Never too late. For anybody here this morning who may be struggling with, yeah, but you have no idea what my story is. It's never too late. 
For some of you here this morning, it's like, I don't have all the answers. I just, I would love to come to Jesus Christ, but I just have a few more things he needs to answer. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. You don't, you don't need all the answers. You're never going to have all the answers. It's never too late. Well, what if I, I'm at the 11th hour of my life? Never too late. Why do you think the Bible spends so much time there about this thief? Why? Because he wants every human being to know with God, it's never too late. Never too late. Somebody here this morning, that might be exactly where you're at. You're like, I, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I just, I just don't know. Well, it's time. It's time to do something about that. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And uh, we're going to have Greg come up, uh, one of our elders. And just if anybody needs to pray with us, uh, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to share what Jesus Christ is all about. But all through the service, at any time, please talk to us. Pray with us. Because we believe, just like that thief, that Jesus Christ sets us free. Truly free. Let me pray and then we'll have our invitation. Heavenly Father, this morning, as you are working on our hearts, we are so thankful for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, when we think about that thief on the cross, Lord, uh, it's us. All of us have been there. All of us deserve so much in this life. But Lord, through your love, you've given us the gift of freedom. Thank you for loving us so much. And Lord, if, again, if there's anyone here that needs to surrender to you, Lord, help us to be here as a family to do everything we can to help. As we stand and as we sing, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand.